Let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16. We'll be looking this morning at verses 1 through 20 as we continue our Sunday morning sermon series through Exodus. If you haven't brought a Bible with you this morning, there are pew Bibles, black pew Bibles in the pew rack in front of you, and our passage this morning can be found on page 58 in the Pew Bibles, page 58. We have seen in our study of Exodus that God has delivered his people. He has brought them through the Red Sea. The Israelites have sung of God's great salvation, rejoicing in his goodness. They came to a place where they could not find water. They grumbled against the Lord. He provided water, gave them a time of extended refreshment at springs. And after God has been gracious to them, we're going to see in our passage this morning that they are going to grumble again um, because they want some food. And so let's uh, look at this uh, passage, Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, It will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer, according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered, some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And thus far, God's holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Our God, how we thank you that you indeed are a God who cares for your people. We thank you that you are a God who provides. And we do ask, O oh God, as you revealed your glory to Israel, that you would show yourself to us this morning in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue on in the book of Exodus later in a later chapter, the Lord is going to pass before Moses, and he is going to reveal his glory there to Moses at that later event, and he's going to proclaim his name, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And we continue to see in our passage this morning God's mercy, His grace, a God who is slow to anger. The time has not come when he will not clear the guilty. Not yet. That is going to happen in the Israelites' wilderness wandering. But God is still gracious even though the Israelites are still putting God to the test. God has already revealed his goodness uh, to them in the previous uh, chapter where God provided water for them. And what happens now? Immediately, in the next section, they turn around and they put God to the test. So I want to look at this passage this morning, these first 20 verses 
of Exodus chapter 16. Very simply, we see Israel's sin, we see God's grace, and we see God's gracious provision in this section this morning. First of all, we see Israel's sin, which is once again their their grumbling. We see in verse 1, they set out from Elim, as we saw last time, or as as uh, Phil Riken calls it, Palm Springs, where there were 12 springs and palm trees, 70 palm trees. They left Palm Springs, and they are back into the wilderness. And it's called here the wilderness of sin. Now, they sin here, but that's not why it's called the wilderness of sin. So don't, be, don't, be, uh, uh, don't, don't think that's the case. It is part of the Sinai Peninsula. Right, And so Sinai, the first three letters of Sinai Peninsula, is Sin, S-I-N. Uh, it's short for Sinai, part of this larger Sinai Peninsula. The end of verse 1 tells us that they have basically been, been away from Egypt, out of Egypt now, for about a month and a half, which means they had a a pretty good long stay at Elim, at the Palm Springs. They were hanging out, enjoying themselves, and now it was time to, to get on their way, to, to go to the place where God was, was leading them. It was probably a, a hard place to leave. Lots of water, lots of shade in the wilderness. And once again, we see here the congregation of the people of Israel in verse 2 grumbled against Moses and against Aaron. In many ways, this grumbling is more serious than what we saw with the previous grumbling. First of all, the text tells us here in verse 2, the whole congregation grumbles against Moses and Aaron. We didn't see that previously, in the previous incident, the whole congregation. And here we see it's against both Moses and Aaron is added to uh, this text uh, in this particular incident. And if you look at verse 3, it is an especially outrageous uh, incident here of grumbling. Look at just a, a few things from this verse. First of all, we see a romanticized picture of former life in Egypt. Notice what they say here. The people of Israel, verse 3, said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Oh, those were the days as Edith and Archie sang, those were the days, right? Those of you who remember all in the family. Oh, what wonderful days those were, weren't they? The good old days. A romanticized picture of past life in Egypt. Secondly, they, they are portraying the situation as worse than it actually was. They are not running out of food. In chapter 17, we see explicitly that they have livestock. They have livestock that can produce milk. 
They have livestock that can produce cheese. They have livestock that, if they want, can produce meat for them to eat. But it's not what they want. In fact, the psalmist in Psalm 78, 18 says, they tested God by demanding the food they craved. The food they craved. Not the food they needed. The food they craved. In other words, it was their greed and not their need that they're upset about. And third, what's also egregious here is essentially they basically accuse Moses and Aaron of attempted genocide. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Not to make us die, but literally to kill us here in the wilderness. Here we have outright rebellion. Outright rebellion. Would that we had died in Egypt. In fact, they don't even say in Egypt. Notice they say, would that we had died by the hand of of the Lord. If you go back into chapter 15, where they're singing God's praises in verse 6, they sing twice that God's right hand saved them. And now they turn that around, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord. Oh, that hand that saved us, that we sang about, oh, would that we had died by that. What do you do when you're tempted to complain about your circumstances? What do you do? I think one of the most important things we do is to reflect on what God has done. What God has given to us. We face hard times, maybe maybe not in a wilderness, as the Israelites, we face hard times. But what has God done for us? What has God given us? John Newton tells the following story. He writes this, suppose a man going to York to take possession of a large estate, or suppose a man was going to York to take possession of a large estate and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which caused him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we should think him if we saw him wringing his hands and blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken, on his way to inherit the estate, take possession of the large estate. We often grumble when God has given us so much and so much is still laid up for us. But secondly, in the midst of this grumbling, we see God's grace once again. God's grace, instead of punishing them, God graciously, abundantly, 
uh, gives to them. See in verse 4, God's promise that he will rain bread from heaven on them. And he instructs them uh, here in this text to go out and to, to gather a day's portion every day. And yet, he says uh, in verse 5, on the sixth day, they are to, to bring in twice as much as they gather daily. Why is that? Well, because he is making provision for the Sabbath rest. Here we see, once again, God telling his people to rest on the seventh day, even before the law is given on Mount Sinai. This is a a creation ordinance, a day of rest, the Sabbath day, a, a day of rest. But also we see uh, in the evening, in verse 8, God gives them meat to eat as well. Evening, the meat comes, and the morning, the bread is given. And then in verses 9 to 12, we see as if to, to sign his name to what God has promised God reveals his glory uh, to them in the cloud. He leads, he reveals his glory in the cloud in which he has been leading them. The cloud there was already representing his, his presence, leading them. But now, somehow it changes. We don't know how, we don't know what what happened to the, the cloud, the, 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 the presence of God in the, the cloud? Maybe it brightened. Maybe there were flashes of lightning in the cloud itself. We don't know, but God's glory is seen there. What is God doing? He's revealing himself. He's reminding them that he's with them, that he's leading them, that he has rescued them and he will provide for them. They have no need to grumble. No need to grumble. No need to complain. The amazing thing here is God's patience with his people. His amazing patience with his people. At the same time, God says he is testing them. Look at the end of verse 4. He says in verse 4, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. This is a test, God says, whether they will walk in my way or not. He's teaching them to trust, to rely on him. Will they truly rely on God? Will they obey him? Moses later says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, 
that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is basically saying here, you need me. I'm your deepest need. The deepest need is spiritual, and only I can fill that deepest need. As Augustine put it, there is a a God-shaped hole in every human heart that only God can fill. It also means an ongoing relationship with God. We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Turn with me quickly to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. John chapter 6. Look briefly at this passage because it's tied into our passage this morning. John chapter 6, kind of picking up in the middle here. Let's begin at verse 29. Jesus says to them in John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The Jews asked for a sign and they point to the manna. And Jesus redirects their attention. He says the key is that the Father now gives the true bread, Jesus, as the bread of life. And you know what these Jews do? Look at verse 41. What do they do? They grumble, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Some things never change, do they? And pick up again in verse 47. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Eating, abiding on the Lord Jesus Christ. Communing with Christ. Intimately 
deeply. Tasting. Chewing. Savoring. Swallowing. That's what Jesus wants in our relationship with him. Not a smell here. Not a small bite here. Entering into a deep communion with him. That's what he wants. The psalmist says the saints feast on the abundance of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your delights. Feast on the abundance. You give them drink from the river of your delights. Dr. James Boyce, who's now with the Lord, has been for some time, told the story of a a Scotsman who was traveling to America on an ocean liner. To save money, he decided to bring his own food, and he was eating it in, in small rations. And he'd go by the cafeteria, and he'd see the lavish buffet line, and he'd desire to, to have some, but he decided, no, he wasn't going to do that. After five days on the, on the ocean liner, his food began to vanish. What was left became stale and, and moldy, and he was left with nothing that was fit to eat. On the last day of the trip, he decided to, to go to the cafeteria. He went up and said, how much is it to get a meal? And the hostess responded, sir, the meals are included with the price of the ticket. Sometimes we, we nibble, chew here and there, and the meal, the lavish meal is included. It's for us. We just have to go. And partake, to taste, and to, to delight in what God has laid before us. God has poured out his abundant blessings for us to enjoy. That leads third to God's gracious provision. Verses 13 and following, we're not going to look at this in great detail. We read in verse 13, in the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. First of all, the quail. Uh, In one sense, the appearance of the quail fits with the timing. The quail would migrate from Africa to southern Europe in the late spring. That fits with the timing, generally, uh, that most scholars say would would fit the, the timing of the exodus. And they would pass through the Sinai Peninsula as they migrate. During their migration, these small little birds would get tired and you would be able to actually even catch them uh, with your hand. In fact, there are ancient Egyptian wall paintings uh, that have uh, uh, 
people throwing nets over groups of quail that are resting uh, on the ground. So at one level, this was a natural, in a sense, phenomenon. Uh, Yet as John Mackay says, yet it was miraculously controlled as to place, timing, and quantity. Enough for God's people, all of God's people, to eat. And then in verses 13 and 14, uh, we see the manna. In the morning, dew lay around the camp, and when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. My high school writing teacher would not like the word thing there. She said, don't use that in your writing. Thing is not descriptive enough. But anyhow, here it is. A fine flake-like thing. And they ask in verse 15, basically, what is it? Or manhu would be what the Hebrew says. Manhu. And that because it becomes its name. Mana. It is a miraculous provision. And as we see as we move forward, everyone gets enough. None lacks. Only on the Sabbath does the manna not go bad when people keep it till the next day. Once again, impressing the importance of the Sabbath day. So here we see God's provision. God provides miraculously with something that had never been seen and probably never will again. Uh, God provided this all the way until the Israelites entered into the promised land. God provides for his people. Again, as verse 4 says, can we... Can we pass the test? Can we pass the test? Can we rest in God's providence? Can we rest in God's provision? Matthew Henry writes this, God tested whether they would trust him and walk in the law of faith or not. Whether they could live from hand to mouth and could rest satisfied with the bread of the day in its day and depend upon God for fresh supplies tomorrow? That's the question. Could we pass that test? Hand to mouth, day by day. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to China, spent his life knowing what it meant to trust God for his provisions. While he was still in England, he spent his Sundays evangelizing and ministering among the poor in Hull, and he tells the following story. He writes this, after concluding my last service about 10 o'clock that night, a poor man asked me to go and pray with his wife, saying that she was dying. I readily agreed and on the way asked him why he had not sent for the priest as his accent told me he was an Irishman. He had done so, he said, but the priest refused to come without a payment of 18 pence. 
which the man did not possess as the family was starving. Immediately it occurred to my mind that all the money I had in the world was a solitary half-crown and that it was in one coin. Moreover, that while the basin of water gruel I usually ate for supper was awaiting me, and there was enough in the house for breakfast in the morning, I certainly had nothing for dinner on the coming day. Ah, I thought, if only I had two shillings and a sixpence, instead of this single half crown, how gladly would I give these poor people a shilling. But to part with the half crown was far from my thoughts. I little dreamed that the truth of the matter simply was that I could trust God plus one and sixpence, but was not prepared to trust him only without any money at all in my pocket. Eventually, God convicted Hudson Taylor, and he gave the family the half crown. The next morning, he received an unexpected gift for four times the amount that he had given away. Hudson Taylor learned what it meant to trust God alone, to seek first his kingdom, to experience God's sweet provision for all his needs. How strong is our faith? How strong is your faith? Are we willing to trust God in all circumstances? The good news is that God provides our needs. The better news is that God is our need. And God is with us and with those who believe in him. God alone satisfies our deepest longing. We can feed on God through the Lord Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for your great grace and mercies. We thank you, O God, for your abundant provision, especially, O God, for your provision for us spiritually in the Lord Jesus Christ. O God, give us, give us more love for you. Give us more longing after you. Give us greater desire for you, O God. We pray, O oh God, even today that you would take us, take our hearts away from our love of this world and the things that are in it, that we might seek you with all of our heart. And so, O oh God, draw us to you this day. We thank you for your good gifts that you continue to pour out on us every day. We give you thanks and praise in Christ's name. Amen.